Well, if you can, you can be seated today. Thank you so much for being here at Centerpoint this morning. And thank you so much to uh, Jonathan and the team here for leading us in worship today. Man, it's easy to preach when they put the ball on the tee like that. Come on, somebody. I'm so glad that you're here today. So glad that you've taken the time to come out and to worship with us. I, uh, I do want to, uh, I don't want to embarrass anybody today, but it's always such a blessing and a privilege when we have uh, people that we love and, and, and care for so much who have been a part of our life uh, to, to come and to be with us in service. And I won't name any names, but there are several here today uh, that have been a part of our life and ministry uh, in the past. And uh, man, it just does our heart good to, to see you today. And we're just so glad that you've come and join with us in worship here at Centerpoint today. I want to share a couple things with you uh, before we jump into the Word. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. Uh, but I, I want to remind you uh, that if you are still, if you're new here at Centerpoint, you're, maybe you're checking us out, you've been kind of hanging out with us over the last uh, few weeks or months or, or whatever, and maybe you find yourself at a place where you're ready to get more involved, ready to plug in, uh, maybe you're interested in learning more about our church or uh, wanting to get involved in serving or become a member here at the church, the best way for you to do that is through uh, our quarterly class called CP Track. And uh, CP Track will be taking place uh, next Sunday, uh, next Sunday afternoon, right after the uh, right after the morning service. It'll take place in our common point right out here, as you go outside the doors, right there to the left. It'll take place in there. Uh, in th in this class, you'll learn more about our church. You'll learn how to get involved, how to be a part of what God is doing here at Center Point. You can go through this class, become a member, and uh, and truly be a part of what God uh, is doing here. Lunch is provided and childcare is provided. We just ask that you simply go online, that QR code on the back of the seat there. You can scan that. You can go online and you can sign up to be a part of CP Track. Also want to remind all of our senior adults, where are my senior adults at? Some of you, you're like, well, I'm not going to raise my hand because I don't want to be a senior adult. But listen, if you're a senior adult, we love you so much here at Center Point. And as we have been sharing with you, we are getting ready to relaunch our senior adult ministry. Uh, we're launching it with the name Legacy Point and and, uh, and it is going to be an absolutely incredible time together. Terry and Julie Skinner have stepped up. They're going to be leading uh, leading this ministry. And so our first get-together with you guys is going to be this next Saturday. This next Saturday morning right here at the church, we're going to be having a breakfast together. Terry and Julie are going to share their heart, share some vision for the ministry, kind of give you some updates on where we're going next with it. And we want you to be a part of it. So go invite somebody. Y'all come out on Saturday morning to be a part of the Legacy Point Breakfast. And let's kick this thing off right, because I believe our best days are ahead of us. Come on, somebody, say amen to that. And then I also want to remind you, this Wednesday night, is our, our final Wednesday night of prayer. If you've been to our Wednesday night of prayers, man, you know how powerful uh, they have been. This past week uh, was a powerful time in the presence of the Lord. And so we've got our final night of prayer this Wednesday night uh, at, at 7 p.m. And we're going to join together uh, in, a, in a brief devotion. We're going to join together in a short time of worship. And, uh, and then this Wednesday, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to have the prayer stations, the interactive prayer stations that we've been doing. This Wednesday night, we're 
We're going to be praying for needs. So if somebody has a need, we're going to pray for healing. We're going to pray for the needs that God has for you. And we're going to have an old-fashioned prayer line right here uh, in, the, in the sanctuary. We're going to give you a chance to come, to walk through. The anointed saints of God are going to be here. We're going to lay hands on you, anoint you with oil, and we're going to pray and believe. Because the book of James tells us that if there's any sick or any in need among us, call on the elders of the church to anoint them and lay hands on them and pray the prayer of faith and they shall be healed and I believe that God's going to heal somebody this Wednesday night by the power of the name of Jesus and so we want to invite you to come and to join us this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for our final uh, Wednesday night of prayer. Okay, well let's jump into the word today. Uh, I am excited that we are in uh, the last week of our summer series. We are in week number nine, y'all. This this series has taken uh, nine weeks to get to this point, but we've been in this series here called The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life, and The Blessed Life is, uh, if you're just now joining us, it's not what we think it is on the surface. When we think of the blessed life, we often think of, well, I've got, that means God's blessing me with, with, a, with a brand new Mercedes Benz. Somebody's claiming that right now, right? It's something we think of. It means that everything's just going well in life. It, it means that, that I'm, I'm healthy and I don't have any sickness. The, the, the blessed life means that everything in my life is just all hunky-dory and beautiful and peaches and cream and a bowl full of cherries or whatever way you want to describe it. That, that life is just good. But what Jesus teaches us here in Matthew chapter 5, this is the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. And in the first 12 verses, we have what are known as the Beatitudes. And what we've learned over the last nine weeks is, is that what, what Jesus is teaching us here is that the blessed life isn't about health and wealth and happiness. But the blessed life is about walking in the grace and the peace and the goodness of God in our life. That despite the troubles that we face, that even if we're not driving a, a brand new Mercedes Benz, but we're driving an old hoopty that the tires and the wheels are about to fall off wherever you find yourself in life that if you are walking in God's grace and you're walking in God's goodness and you're saved and redeemed and set free by the mercy of Jesus Christ then you are blessed and so today we're going to move into our final week where we're looking again at Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 to 12 and we read this last week but I want to I want to kind of do a part 2 on this this particular beatitude this week because Jesus had a lot to say here Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 to 12 this is what Jesus says Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are you when people insult you, when people cuss you out, when people flip you the bird riding down the road. Blessed are you. Listen, we're just going to speak plain today, all right? Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you, when they lie about you, right? Jesus says you're blessed. He says, when they do these things because of me. And then he says this. He says, rejoice and be glad. I don't know about you, but I don't always rejoice and be glad when somebody flips me the bird, right? So, I, I, listen, I know I am a pastor. I am a Christian. But listen, I still have flesh, right? 
And there are moments in life where there are things that happen and people say and do things and I forget that I'm a pastor and almost forget that I'm a Christian and I want to, uh, I want to lay hands on them, right? He says rejoice. Rejoice and be glad in your pain and persecution because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, as I read this final beatitude, as you read this, you'll notice Jesus had a little bit more to say here. So all the other beatitudes are just really one line. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a promise and a blessing. It's Jesus saying, this is if you do this, this is what happens in your life. And then he moves on to the next one. But in this one, he kind of spent a little bit more time here. Kind of unpacking this, almost as if to say, listen, you really need to get this one. Like you really need to get this in your heart and in your soul because how you live this one proves the effectiveness of the others. Because how you, how you walk out in the face of, how you live your life in the face of persecution really, really determines how deeply the other beatitudes are entrenched in your spirit. So I felt like I wanted to take the time today to do a week number two on this because last week we talked about the importance of standing firm in the face of persecution, but, but how do we respond to persecution? Because I believe that Jesus has called us to more than just standing firm. I believe that there is an actual attitude that we are called to, to have. See, here's the thing. I can stand firm and still punch somebody in the face, right? I can stand firm in my beliefs that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I can still fight back, right? But Jesus calls us to live differently. That's what the Beatitudes have been all about. It's about living a a countercultural life. And so Jesus calls us to more than just standing firm in our faith. Jesus also calls us to respond differently than the world. Jesus doesn't just call us to stand firm in our faith. Jesus also calls us to do it with a spiritual maturity. To do it with a spiritual maturity and with a love that can only come as we submit our lives fully to Christ. Growing in and being transformed by these Beatitudes. And you know what? A lot of times we look at it and say, well, the world responds this way. But Jesus says, I didn't call you to be like the world. I called you to be in the world, but not of the world. And so while the world responds with revenge and anger, while the world responds to their enemies with vengeance and and, and anger and fighting back, we respond with grace and with love. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he said this. He said, that's why I can take pleasure in my weaknesses. I can take pleasure in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. Why? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What Paul is pointing us here to here is saying that when we trust in Christ and when we allow Him to fill our lives, that we respond differently than the world does. That we don't act out like them. That we don't lash out. That we don't go and take revenge and take vengeance. But that we actually understand and know that the very people that are persecuting us, Jesus Christ died for them too. And that it is our response to show them love and grace and goodness. And we can actually rejoice in the midst of our persecution. For we know that in the midst of our weakness that Christ gives us his strength. 
So when we face fiery trials and persecutions and we maintain our faith and we maintain our integrity and we maintain our Christian character, then we're strengthened by His grace and we're matured for His glory. And many souls are won into the kingdom of God because of it. See, that's the purpose and the hope of the Beatitudes. That this whole series that we've been talking about, it culminates in this one idea that God has called us to live in such a way that many come into the kingdom of God. So if I'm living poor in spirit and I'm, I'm being blessed as I mourn over life and over sin and as I'm walking out all of these other beatitudes, if I'm living as a peacemaker in the world, if I'm doing these things, then many come to Christ. That's the whole point of this whole thing. So if we're living our lives in such a way that people are actually turned off from Christ rather than coming to Christ, then we have to ask ourselves the question, am I living these things out? See, Jesus tells us in the next verses right after, he tells us, it finishes up Matthew chapter 5 and finishes up these, these Beatitudes moving into the next verses. In verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. What does salt do? I, listen, I love salt, okay? I know salt is not good for you, but what does salt do? It makes everything taste better, right? I don't know about you, but I don't want any chicken that's been fried without any salt in that batter, right? Don't, don't give me peas and don't give me, uh, don't, give me, uh, don't give me any kind of vegetable or anything without some kind of season. I want butter and salt on that, okay? Throw a little ham hock in there, okay? And we, I'm, that thing, that won't, that, that's got to taste good, right? And Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. Our job as Christians is to live our lives in such a way. Salt is different from anything else that you can put on your food. Salt flavors its seasons. It. And he looks at us and he says, you are supposed to live in such a way that you actually season the people around you, season the world around you, make it taste better, make it taste good so that other people want to try it. It says you're the salt of the earth, but what happens if, we're, if our salt has lost its flavor? Then Jesus says that it's worthless. It's pointless. It's trampled underfoot. No, verse 14, he says, you're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And then he says this, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Can I tell you, Jesus didn't say there, let your good deeds toward those who love you shine out for all, for all to see. He doesn't say, he doesn't specify who we let our good deeds toward shine out. He just says, let your good deeds. You know what that means? That, that means that even those who persecute us, even those who hate us, even those who utter all kinds of evil against us, that we are still called to do good towards them. And Jesus says, as you do this, then they will give praise to my Father in heaven. See, the reality is this, that as we live differently and as we walk these things out, as we grow in Jesus Christ, when persecution comes our way, how we respond matters. We must not only stand firm, but Jesus calls us to actually stand out. To be different. 
to live in such a way that people actually want to be a part of what God is doing in his kingdom to serve and to act justly, to show grace and compassion and peace, to do good in our world, to do good to our world so that our good deeds may cause many to come to Christ. You know why? You ever heard the phrase that you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar? But we got a bunch of Christians who are out here full of vinegar. And you can tell it by the look on your face. (laughs) And we wonder why people are not asking us about the God that we serve. Because we're bitter all the time and we're frustrated all the time and we're angry all the time and we always point to all the bad things that are happening against us yet we see Jesus and Paul and all the disciples in Scripture not one single, not not one of them didn't face hardship and persecution and pain yet all of them responded with the grace and the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ. And they all led many to Christ even in the midst of their suffering. So where are we today? What is our response in the face of all of this? And how does Christ call us to respond in the face of offense? In the face of persecution? Well, I want to give you three principles today. If you got your, if you got something to take notes with, I encourage you to do that today. I want to give you three principles. Three principles of, of, of righteous living in an offended world. And when I say righteous living here, I'm not just talking about living, avoiding sin. But I'm talking about living in such a way that the righteousness of God comes out of our life reflecting in the world that it actually has an impact on the world. So how do we live in the current climate and culture that we're in? Wow, how do we, how do we walk out these beatitudes and live in such a way that many would want to come to Christ? Three principles today of righteous living in an offended world. And let me tell you this, these are hard to do, Okay. This isn't going to be easy for you to do, but if you'll learn to do them, it'll change the world. The first one is this. you got to choose to overlook the offense. I told you it was going to be hard. The very first one, it might be the hardest one there. you got to overlook the offense. When somebody offends you, I don't know about you, but I struggle to overlook it sometimes, right? Somebody offends me, somebody says something harsh or hurtful to me, somebody persecutes me, whatever. We want to respond we want to respond back to it, don't we? But, 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 but if we're going to walk out these kingdom principles, we've got to learn to overlook the offense. Look at what the, the writer of Proverbs says. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, he says this, Hatred stirs up trouble, but love overlooks the wrongs that others do. Love overlooks the wrong that others do. Proverbs twelve sixteen says this, when a fool is annoyed, he lets it be known. Some of y'all know, you're thinking of somebody right now. But smart people ignore an insult. Mm. Proverbs 19.11 says this. A person's wisdom yields patience. And it is, one, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Back in 19, I believe it was 1983, that was the year I was born, uh, 1983, there was a movie that came out called War Games. Anybody remember that movie? I think it had Matthew Broderick. There's like two hands that went up, y'all. Must not have been a very popular movie. I don't know. But there was this movie that came out called War Games, and it was about this teenager, a couple teenagers that, that are, they're kind of computer whizzes, and they've got this computer that is, they named Jason. 
And Jason is this very smart, very capable computer. And they use this computer to hack into NORAD. They hack into the United States' defense system where, 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 where nuclear weapons can be launched from. They hack into this system and they almost start World War III. And the way the, the movie goes is what ends up happening is, is, is the computer kind of takes over on its own. And what the teenagers realize is they no longer have any control of it. So now, the, now the, this computer is getting ready to begin to launch nuclear warheads at the Soviet Union. It's going to start a world war and destroy the earth. And so as they begin to partner with the United States and as they're trying to figure out how to stop this computer and how to stop basically what would be the end of the world, they begin to, uh, begin to use the computer to, to create these scenarios to, to, to see uh, where, where the possible ending could be. And so, so as the computer begins to, begins to produce these scenarios of what could, what could be, it shows all these scenarios where the United States bombs Soviet Union and Soviet Union bombs the United States and all these scenarios that it goes through, every single one of them ends in destruction. And as it goes, it, each scenario speeds up faster and faster and faster. And as it speeds up, it all ends. Destruction, 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 destruction. And then finally, a blank screen comes up. As the blank screen comes up, the computer begins to talk to the professor there. I'm going to have them put that slide up on the screen. And this is, this is what it says there. This is what the, 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 the computer says to the professor. He says, Greetings, Professor Falcon. Hello. A strange game. The only winning move is not to play. The only winning move is not to play. Can I tell you today, church, listen. For us, the only winning move for us as the people of God is not to play the games that the world plays. See, the only winning move for us is to not get caught up in the way the world does things and the way the world handles things. Listen, when we respond like the world does, when we allow offense to fill our hearts and determine our actions, when we choose to play the game of offense, there's not a scenario that doesn't end in destruction. When we choose to get caught up in bitterness and anger and vengefulness, there is not a scenario that doesn't end in pain. Whether it's our pain or their pain, the reality is it all ends in pain. But when we operate with a kingdom mindset, when we learn to respond to insult and injury and offense and pain with the attitude of Christ, we come to understand that the only winning move is not to play the game. That Christ calls us to a higher level. I love the old quote that says this. It says, never argue with a fool because they will bring you down to their level and beat you with experience. Can I tell you, it's the same way with, with offense. If we play the game and fight with people who are always offended and they're offending us and we're always caught up in this stuff, it will always end the same way with pain and hurt and destruction when we choose to engage in the back and forth, the backbiting, the fighting, the slander. We will always be dragged down to that level and everyone loses. Christ has called us to a different standard. He's called us to a higher place. He's called us to get off Facebook and stop. You don't listen. You don't have to comment every time. You don't have to go back. You don't have to defend your mother's honor. Listen. 
God has called us to do things differently. So then you ask the question, well, how am I supposed to respond? What does different look like? Well, how would Christ respond? When we look in Scripture and we see Jesus as he's taken and he's falsely accused. He's lied about. Jesus never did anything wrong, yet they lied about him. In fact, to the point that when he's taken in, the people actually choose a mass murderer in Barabbas. They choose him over Jesus who was perfect and had never done anything wrong except teach the truth of God's word. Jesus falsely accused. Jesus beaten. Beard ripped from his face. A crown of thorns shoved on his head. Beaten with a cat of nine tails. Had his body ripped open. Now he carries the cross all the way to Golgotha. And there they drive nine inch spikes into his hands and into his feet. And they raise him up on this cross to suffocate and to die. They pierce his side with a spear. And he gives his life for the very ones who were killing him. How did Jesus respond? How are we to respond? The Bible tells us that Jesus, he was like a lamb before its shearers. That he remained silent. That he didn't say a word. He didn't play the game that the world played. He didn't fight back and try to defend himself. No, Jesus recognized that this was just a part of the call of God on his life. That this was just a part of his responsibility. And can I tell you, church, sometimes the pain and the suffering is just a part of God's will for our life. And his desire is for us to walk through it. And I know you're not going to shout and dance over that. But the reality is this, that there is blessing on the other side of the pain. That God has greater reward for you on the other side other side of your suffering and God wants you to understand that sometimes we've just got to walk through it and trust that he's got something better for us on the other side how did Jesus respond Jesus looked at them and he said father forgive them for they know not what they do you know what Jesus responded with with empathy he responded with empathy you know what empathy is it's the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. See, Christ-like, I'm not just talking about the empathy of the world. I'm talking about Christ-like empathy. See, Christ-like empathy learns to look past the behavior and imagine the pain in their life. This is hard for me to do sometimes. It's, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's hard for me sometimes to look past the behavior and understand that it comes from a place of pain. But when we learn to do that, we will minister to people completely differently. We'll stop fighting with them and we'll actually bring them to a place where they experience God's grace and love and goodness. Just as we did. Jesus, Jesus responded to them with empathy. I think about it like this, and this is, a, this is a big one for me. You're riding down the road and you're in traffic. And that person cuts you off. How do you respond to them? I talked about flipping the bird. Are you flipping them the bird right back? Don't tell me. How are, how are we responding? Are we responding in anger? Are we chasing them down, riding up on their tail, honking the horn, telling them to pull over, we're going to get out and fight them? Then we're going to go to church on Sunday and act like, oh, hallelujah, I love Jesus. How do we respond when people, when somebody cuts us off in traffic? This is just a small level, by the way. How do we respond in that moment? Because that says a lot about our spiritual maturity. How do we respond? You know what I think Jesus would do? I think Jesus would probably say, you know what? Their child, 
probably, they probably got a call from the school and their child fell off the monkey bars and broke their arm. And that is a mom who is doing everything in her power to get to her child to take care of them. So you know what? I'm just going to let it pass. I'm going to wave and say, God bless you. Go take care of your child. You know what? In fact, I'm going to pray for your situation and hope that it gets better because I believe in a God who shows up in the middle of the situation. That's responding with empathy. It's looking at the situation and saying, they didn't just cut me off because they're a jerk. They might have cut me off because they're trying to get to their, their hurting child. That may not be true, but you know what? It's going to help you out a whole lot. That may not be true, but you will, you, will, you will find yourself at peace and with joy. Your situation and your day won't be changed just because somebody cut you off. Some of us, listen, we let somebody cutting us off in traffic affect the rest of our day. And we go into work with a bad attitude and show up at home with a bad attitude. And we spill that bitterness out on everybody around us. But if we learn to respond in life with empathy to the insults and the injuries... We will live with peace, not only with ourselves, but with everybody around us. And they'll be blessed because of it. Amen? So how would Jesus respond? He'd respond with empathy. He would look at them and say, I understand that the sin in their life is because of the pain in their life. I understand that the, that the behavior that is coming out, that the root cause of their anger is their own hurt. Why? Because hurt people hurt people. And so when we come to this place that we understand that and we choose to respond like Jesus did, then we can look at the situation and say, Father, forgive them, and I forgive them too. Father, forgive them, and I forgive them too. You know, one of the best things that you can do as a Christian is learn how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Because Jesus, when he gives the Lord's Prayer, he's teaching the disciples how to pray. And Jesus walks them through this prayer. And there's seven different elements in this prayer. And I, I try to pray this some variation of this prayer every day in my life. Because it gives you a model to follow. Jesus said, this is how we pray. But he gets to this one portion of the prayer. And this is what he, what he says in that prayer in Luke 11, chapter, uh, verse 4. He says, and forgive our sins, for we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Can I tell you, that's the, that's the appropriate translation of that verse. Because it says it in the past tense. In the original language, that's the, way it was, that's the way it was laid out. In the past tense, what Jesus was saying here is that I've already made the decision to forgive them before they ever hurt me. That means that when you wake up in the morning, you're saying, Father, I've already forgiven them before they cuss me out. Father, I've already forgiven them before I get to work and my boss is losing their mind. I've already forgiven them. I've already forgiven the person who's going to make fun of me at school or make fun of me at work because I'm reading my Bible or because I'm studying the Word or because I, I, I talk about Jesus or listen to worship music. God, I've already made the decision that I'm going to forgive them before it ever comes. How many of us live our lives like that? But he says that here. He says, we have forgiven the, for we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Before they curse, insult, or persecute me, I have already made the decision to forgive them. Why? Because he forgave me. Because the book of Romans tells us this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can I tell you today, while you were still in your sin, Christ died for you. 
While I was still walking out there in the world, running away from God, God didn't look at me and say, when you get everything right, then I'll save you. He looked at me and he says, I'm going to go ahead and pay the price for your sins. I'm going to go ahead and offer forgiveness so that when the time comes that you understand it and recognize it, you'll turn around and just accept the free gift that I've already offered to you. So we say, God, I forgive them for what they've done even before they ever do it. You know what? If you learn to do that, can you imagine the amount of peace you'll have in your life? Can you imagine, listen, your joy will not be stolen. You'll actually be able to go and enjoy going to work. You might enjoy being, being with your family again. You, you, might, you might actually be able to, to have some peace and some joy when you lay down on the pillow at night and actually be able to rest and stop worrying about all this stuff because you've come to the place that you said, I'm not going to be a prisoner to this stuff any longer, but I'm going to live my life in freedom because I'm choosing Christ-like empathy. I'm choosing to forgive before it ever even happens. Lewis Smead says this. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. we got to learn to let these things go. And to walk in the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. The second point today is this. we got to pray, bless, and do good to those who hurt us. you got to pray for you got to bless them. And you got to do good to them. Oh, no, Pastor Trey, I cannot do that. Oh, I'll, yeah. Oh, oh Pastor, I'll, I'll pray for them, all right. I'll pray they get hemorrhoids. Oh, I'll pray for them. I will pray the, the, the plagues of Egypt upon them and their family. God, fill their house with frogs right now. In Jesus' name. Let the flies of a thousand camels fill their armpits right now. In Jesus' name. That, that's, how some of us, that's how some of us are praying for our enemies. We're down on our knees and we're like, oh, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would just get on them right now. God, just just beat them right now. They deserve a beat. Some, that's what we're praying. We're praying the wrath of God upon people rather than the grace and goodness. But the Bible tells us that we're to pray for those who persecute us, to bless those who persecute us, and to actually do good deeds towards them. In the, in, in Jesus is talking here in, this, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to a very Jewish audience. And their only Bible was the Old Testament. And there's a principle in the Old Testament called an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So they live their life according to this principle. If you take my eye, I'm taking your eye. You knock my tooth out, guess what? I'm about to knock your tooth out. You better watch out. And some of us, we still want to live by this principle. We still want to live eye for eye, tooth for tooth, because we want vengeance. But Jesus, as we know, flips everything on its head. And this is what he says in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 41. He says, you have heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the cheek, on the right cheek, offer them the other cheek also. Woo! If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give them your coat. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Can I tell you, that's where the expression go the extra mile comes from. So a lot of the principles that we live by in our life and in our business can actually come from the Word of God. It says, carry it the extra mile. It says, if they don't resist an evil person, if they slap you on the face, say, give me one right here too. I don't know that I'd do that. 
I heard a pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, he was telling this story about when he was in college at LSU. And he said he worked in this, this place there on the campus. And, and, uh, and he was, every day when he didn't have work to do, he'd sit at the table and he'd just read his Bible. And, uh, and there was this guy who was friends with the director of this department. And the guy was a part of the LSU uh, police, uh, police department. And he says that this guy, he was Muslim. His name was Muhammad. Muhammad would come in every day. And one day Muhammad walked over to him while he was sitting there and he was, he was reading the Bible. And Muhammad looked at him and he said, I can show you something in, in that book that you don't believe. He was like, okay. He was like, well, show me. And so Chris is sitting there and he's looking at the Bible and nothing happens. And he looks up and when he looks up, Muhammad smacks him across the face. Some of y'all, your blood's boiling already. Smacks him across the face. And Chris looks up and he's like, whoa. He said, my face was throbbing. Why did you do that? He says, because your, your Bible there says, if someone hits you in the face, slaps you across the cheek to give them the other cheek. He says, and I've never met a Christian who's willing to do that. Never willing to do the word. And Chris actually looks at him and he says, well, that's what the word says. Here's the other one. Muhammad looks at him and Chris says, no, hit me. Muhammad's like, just stares at him. He says, hit me. You know, he got bold there. He said, hit me. So Muhammad hit him. <laughs> Smacked him across the other cheek. And then Muhammad looked at him and said, you're the only true Christian I think I've ever met in my life. He said, you're the only person that I've ever seen who'd actually follow through on the word of God. Chris said over the next year, Muhammad would come in there, that store and would ask him questions. Ask him questions about Christianity. Ask him questions about faith. Ask him questions about the word of God. And Chris, over the next year, began to walk Muhammad through a discipleship process. And before he realized it, the next year, Muhammad came to a place where he looked at Chris and said, Chris, I want to have this Jesus that you've been talking about for the last year. And that day, Chris Hodges led Muhammad to the Lord, the very man who had persecuted him and slapped him across the face. He led that man to the Lord. Why? Because he was willing to live differently differently and walk in obedience to the truth of the word of God now I'm not saying go out there and ask people to punch you in the face what I'm saying is that we live in such a way that we don't that we don't get vengeance but that we actually try to bless those who persecute us Jesus is saying here that it's important for us as believers to live differently in a world that fights back in a world that is trying to get vengeance that we we don't look at them and say God give them what they deserve that we look at them and say God give them the same grace that you gave to me I remember my dad used to tell this story growing up about he grew up his parents had divorced my grandparents had divorced when my dad was about 12 years old and my grandmother remarried uh, a man by the name of Charles Winters. and Charles was from Connecticut, and we called him, his nickname was Yankee. We called him, as kids, we called him Papa Yankee. Papa Yankee and Big Ma, that's what their names were to us. And, uh, and Yankee was not a Christian. Far from it, actually. Very far from it. He was married to my grandmother, and my grandmother was not really living for the Lord. She met him, and they got married. And, 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 and my dad had gotten saved at the age of 12 and got filled with the Holy Spirit. And God had just called him, was using him. And, and so dad would sit there in the house every day reading his Bible. And, and Yankee was always just on his case about it. Man, you know that stuff's not true. 
Man, you know, you know only a fool believes in that stuff. And Yankee would just always pick on my dad about it. My dad would get discouraged a little bit, but he didn't let it stop him from, from reading the word and from, from going to church and doing the things that God, uh, God was doing in his life. He'd, he'd come back, he'd come back from, from a revival service and Yankee would get all on his case about coming in late. And I don't care where you were, it doesn't matter if you were at church or not, that stuff's a bunch of foolishness anyway. Just always harping on him about it. It really was just, just discouraging to my dad. But all through it, God would just give him the strength to just maintain his faith. For years this would happen. Yankee would just give him a hard time for years and years and years. And then one day my dad and, and Yankee were, were talking together and Yankee started just asking him questions. And Yankee began to look at my dad and was like, Tommy, I, I don't understand. He said, all these years I've given you such a hard time about this. I've made fun of you. I've picked on you. I have berated you for years. I have put so much pressure on you, and yet you have not wavered. Somehow, Tommy, through all of this persecution that I've given to you, all of this stuff that I've done to you, you have not wavered. Tommy, I don't know what is different about you, but there is something, there's got to be something real about this because I don't know anybody else in, in, in my life or in the world that would live in such a way that could endure such persecution uh, and such, such, such pressure like this. And he said, Tommy, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I need what you've got. And my dad looked at him and he said, well, you can have it. Right there, my dad led my grandfather to the Lord, led his stepdad to the Lord. And Yankee, even though he had lived a hard life, even though he had lived a life running from Jesus Christ, even though he had lived his life persecuting his own stepson, his stepson was the one who led him to the Lord. And he went and he joined a church and was a part of what God was doing. And until his last breath was taken on this side of eternity, Yankee served the Lord, loved God, gave his life to Jesus. And today, Yankee is in heaven. He's in glory with the rest of my family. And one day, I'm going to go there and I'm going to see him again. How do we respond in the face of persecution? How do we walk these things out? Do you pray for them? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 to, uh, he, he says this, he says, hey, 43 to 44, he says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Can I tell you today, church, listen, if you hurt me, you know what my response is going to be? You know what I hope my response is going to be? To pray for you. To pray God's blessing on your life. You know what the word, what the Bible means when it says to bless someone? It means to speak highly of them. To speak good things about them. Some of us, listen, as soon as somebody hurts us, we go right to social media to let everybody know about it. We, hear me, listen, we got to stop cursing people. As the people of God, we've got to stop speaking curses over people's life. We've got to stop speaking negativity over them. Just because somebody's hurt us doesn't mean that we're to respond in the same way. Jesus says to pray for them, to bless them. Even if they hate you and revile you, you are to speak highly of them. Oh, they're great. I love that person. Well, Pastor Trey, I don't mean it. <laughs> and I'm not a faker. I'm not going to fake it. You know what? Listen, Jesus calls us to live counterculturally. Jesus calls us to live differently in the world. Listen, doing this goes against what seems natural to us. But it doesn't change the fact that it is the call of God for our life. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ, some, listen, sometimes you just got to fake it till you make it, right? 
Sometimes we just got sometimes we've just got to pretend like we feel these things until the Holy Spirit can break through and actually make us feel it. You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes I've just got to say, you know what? I don't feel like I don't feel very gracious right now, but I'm going to show grace because he showed me grace. And if I keep showing grace, I'll learn how to walk in grace and I'll learn to experience grace. And the next thing I know, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'll become a gracious person. Sometimes it's just take, just take some practice. Some of us, we've never even tried it one time. 1 Peter 3.9 says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Speak highly of them. That is what God is. Church, you are called to do this. We are called to, to speak blessing over people, to pray for them, even if they are our enemies. And then he says this, and he will grant you his blessing. Can I tell you today, there is a blessing that is waiting on you when you'll bless others. Not just those you love, but those who hate you. Those who revile you. And then the Apostle Paul ramps this thing even more. In Romans chapter 17, uh, he says this, he says, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, what does it say to do? Feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals of shame on their head. Don't conquer, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by what? By doing good. We don't overcome evil by fighting back. We overcome evil by doing what is right. By doing good in the world. And that is how people know we belong to Jesus Christ. We pray for them. We bless them. We do good for them. If you guys would come to the music. I heard this story one time about this 19-year-old girl in, in China. This girl, she had gotten saved. She was a Christian. And she was, in, in China, you were not allowed to be a Christian publicly. This young Christian girl there in China, she was arrested, she was beaten, and she was thrown into jail. She was thrown into a filthy, nasty prison cell. It was dark, and from the smell, she knew that the slimy floor that she was sitting in was covered with human excrement. There was no bed, there was no chair, and she had to sit and sleep in this filth. So she squatted down with her back against the wall so that as little of her bleeding body as possible would touch the floor. And as she squatted there in the dark cell, she began to silently give thanks to the Lord that she was worthy to suffer for Him. And she began to ask Him for wisdom and strength, not to get out of this terrible place, but that wherever He put her, that she would be able to continue to preach the gospel. One day as she quietly squatted there in the cell and sang a hymn, the Lord impressed upon her, said, this is to be your ministry. And she thought, Lord, I'm all alone. Who can I preach to? And suddenly an idea came to her. So she stood up and she called the guard over to the cell and 
She said, sir, can I do some hard labor for you? And the guard looked at her with contempt, with contempt mingled with some surprise. No one had ever made that kind of request before. And she said, look, sir, this prison is filthy. Let me go into the cells and clean up the excrement here. Just give me some water and give me a brush and I'll go and I'll clean it all up. Soon she found herself on her hands and her knees cleaning and preaching the gospel to the people who had lost all hope of ever seeing another human being who did not come to beat them. When they realized, when they realized that they could have eternal life as God's free gift, they repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. Soon all the prisoners there believed in Christ Jesus. And the warden was furious over this. So he dragged her out, had her beaten, and then he gave her a sheet of paper for her to write down her confession of her crimes against the revolution. So this young Chinese girl sat down and as she began to write her crimes out, this is what she wrote. She wrote the plan, the gospel plan of salvation so that even the warden and others around her would hear the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of her pain, even in the midst of her persecution, she chose to bless those who persecuted her. She chose to keep preaching the gospel. She chose to keep telling the story. Is the gospel at the forefront of our thoughts? Is the gospel at the forefront of our reaction and our response when we walk in persecution and when we walk in pain? Where do we find ourselves today? And then the third and the final point today is this. We got to remember the eternal reward. I talked about this a little bit last week. But Jesus closes this beatitude by saying in verse 12, He says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can I tell you, I believe the greatest key to joy and happiness on earth is to have your sight set on heaven. See, some of us, the reason we, are so, we live so frustrated and beaten down is because we can't get our eyes off of this dirt in front of us. We have lived our lives so consumed with the things that we feel like we need and we want. Pastor David talked about that scripture earlier, that we are so worried about what we're going to wear and what we're going to eat. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. When we get our eyes on the kingdom of God and the future, and when we get our eyes on eternity, the things of this world don't matter to us anymore. We can walk in hope and joy and peace. We come to a place that we realize that our joy and our peace and our happiness are not determined by everything in life working out for us. We're, we're satisfied with the delayed reaction of an eternal glory. We're satisfied to live our lives even in pain and suffering right now so that one day we stand before Him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of my kingdom. See, that was the Apostle Paul's secret to success. The Apostle Paul lived his, his, I said it last week, his entire life was a series of beatings, stonings, persecution, people lying about him. He was shipwrecked. He was snake bit. He was thrown in prison. I talked about Jesus. Jesus was beaten with that cat of nine tails. Can I tell you, Paul was beaten with it five different times. 
And somehow he survived to continue to preach the gospel. And yet Paul came to this place. After all of this, after all these things that happened to him, Paul still said this in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We, we, we are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. And then he tells us why. In verses 17 and 18, he says this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Can I ask you today, church, where are your eyes fixed today? Can I tell you these moment, these momentary troubles, these light and momentary troubles are achieving for you an eternal glory. God's got something better waiting for you on the other side. And He's looking at you saying, will you just trust me? Will you just keep walking it out? I know you're in pain. I know you're hurting. But I've got a glory that's waiting on you. And there's going to come a day, if you'll endure, that you'll stand before me. If you'll get your eyes off of this earth and get your eyes on glory. You'll stand before me and I'll look at you and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because of how you responded in the face of persecution, because of how you chose to live your life for me, even in the, in the pain of life and in the earth, I look at you and I say, Well done, because you did the work that I called you to do. Where are our eyes fixed today? What's more valuable to you, earth or heaven? Because if you find yourself, if you answer that question honestly today and you say earth has been more valuable to you, can I tell you, earth will absolutely beat you up. It will kick your tail. But if you could ever come to the place that you get your eyes fixed on eternity. Say, God, I'm going to stop chasing after all the things that the world has to offer. I'm going to stop living like the world. I'm going to stop chasing these things. I'm, I'm going to stop responding to persecution in this way. But God, I'm going to look ahead and I'm going to understand that you've called me to walk through this and you've got something better for me on the other side. When we come to that place, we will walk in His grace. We'll live in His joy. We'll live in His peace. And there will come a day that we'll stand before Him and He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. In January of 1956, there was a man by the name of Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott was a minister of the gospel. He felt this calling to leave where he was and to go to Ecuador. To do missions work in the nation of Ecuador, his country. And Jim Elliott and a group of friends, a group of other missionaries, they flew down to Ecuador and their goal was to, to reach the Guarani Indians there. They were a group of people who had never been reached by anyone outside of their culture. Because every time somebody would try to show up to meet them, connect with them, preach to them, whatever, they would kill the people that came. So they'd never really been truly reached before, but Jim Elliott felt this burden in his heart that these are the people that God was calling him to. So Jim and these other missionaries, they got in a plane and they flew it deep into the jungle there in Ecuador and they landed their plane and they built a hut waiting on the, some of the Wairani to come and 
to connect with them. And leading up to this, they had been flying over and dropping gifts and things down to them. Trying to build a relationship before they ever got there. So they built this little hut and sure enough, three of the Warani came to their hut. They exchanged gifts with them and pleasantries. In fact, the the man that was there, because I believe it was a man and two women, the man actually got in the plane with them and they took him up and flew him all around the jungle. And they were like, man, this is great. God's opening this door. This is going to be awesome. But the next time it came for them to check in over the radio, they didn't respond. They kept trying, kept, the people kept trying to reach them and never did hear anything back from them. Finally, they got a group together and they flew into a search party to kind of fly into that jungle and they landed. And when they got there, they found that all the missionaries had been ambushed and killed by the Warani. But one of the amazing things is this, is that somehow through all of that, when they saw that, some of the people who had been shown such kindness were upset by the fact that these missionaries had been killed. And the story goes like this, that, the, that many of the Warani actually came to faith in Jesus Christ. Because of what Jim Elliott had done and because of these other missionaries, they had given their life to preach the gospel. And through that even small moment that they had had together, that the Warani actually began to hear the gospel. And they actually, many of them today actually serve Jesus Christ. And they've been reached for the glorious gospel of Jesus. But Jim Elliott wrote, had wrote this quote one time. And after his death, his wife Elizabeth had written his autobiography. And there was one quote that really stood out to this. I read the, there was a, there's a book called End of the Spear and a movie called End of the Spear that's the Jim Elliott story. I encourage you to go read it or watch the movie. But there was this one quote as I was reading Jim, about Jim's life that really stood out to me. And this is what he said. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, Jim knew what mattered in life. Jim had come to the place in his life that he realized that the trappings of this earth and that the things that this world has to offer do not satisfy. That they do not bring peace. That they can't save him. That they could not offer him anything. That he came to a place that he said, listen, that I, that, 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 that I, have, to, I have to be willing to give everything up, even my life, if it means that I gain this eternal glory that God has in store for me. And I can't help but wonder, are we in that place that we're willing to say, God, I'll give it all up for you. God, I'm willing to lay it all down. I'm willing even in the face of persecution to go all the way even to my death in order to gain what you have for me. Where are you today? Next Sunday is going to be Vision Sunday. We're going to talk about where we're going as a church. And I believe that God is calling us to move beyond the simplicity of this life and the things that we chase. I believe God's calling us to be more than a church who just comes and sits in comfy seats with air conditioning on a Sunday and we get our songs and our message and we, we go home. I think God is calling us to, to, to say, I'm willing to give, give some things up so that the kingdom of God can be advanced. I believe that God is calling us as a church to say, we're going to increase our missions efforts around the world. 
I believe that God's calling us as a church to say we're going to be, we're going to have a footprint and a handprint in the community. We're going to be a church that believes in outreach. We're going to be a church that's actually going to get our hands dirty. And we're going to get down in the mess and the grime of people's life. And we're going to love on them and show them the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I believe that God is calling us to do this. But we've got to come to the place that we're willing, willing to say, God, I'll leave it all behind so I can do what you've called me to do. Even in the face of persecution. In the face of trouble. How do we respond? Would you stand with me this morning? Job said this. He said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. And my mantra for this next year is this. Because I believe persecution of the church and Christians is only going to ramp up. And my response in all of that, I I hope, is this. This is what I, I want it to be is that though they slay me and persecute me and utter all kinds of evil against me, yet will I serve Him and yet will I serve them. See, it's easy to serve people when everything is going well. It's easy to serve people when when, when, when they like you, when they're patting you on the back. It's hard to serve them when they hate you they persecute you but my prayer is this God though they persecute us yet will I serve them though though they hate us though they curse us though they utter all kinds of evil against us yet will we love them yet will we serve them are you willing are you willing to 